0: My next guest is Kerry Bolton. Kerry is someone that I would describe as a serial entrepreneur, having bought, built, and sold a number of her own companies. She's had immense success and her fair share of challenges. But what is fascinating about Kerry is how she's managed to overcome adversity at almost every stage of her life and still achieve amazing and life changing results. In this episode, Kerry shares the details around her first company, how she managed to get investors on board to buy it and then went on to drive immense growth and finally sell the business. What was really interesting is that while Kerry achieved fantastic results from this deal, she reflects on how she would do things differently if she had her time again, and with some critical tips on how to maximize the value of your company and how to structure a better deal. In fact, there are so many tips and words of advice in this episode, I'm sure you'll have a lot to take away. This is Kerry Bolton. Hey, Kerry, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Simon. It's absolutely fantastic to be here.
0: Um, I'm so happy to have you on today. I I must admit, I've been really excited about this episode. You know, with a with a show called Buy, Build, Sell, we, we obviously talk to business owners, entrepreneurs who've been through these different stages. And every now and again, we get a wonderful guest like yourself who's actually done all three, <laughs> and sometimes all three in one business. So, um, so that's just such a unique perspective that I'm. I'm really looking forward to exploring with you. Yep,
1: yeah, terrific. Very happy to do that
0: yeah so so I think it all started or correct me if i 'm wrong, but I think it all started with freight management international is that right
1: that's exactly right i was happened to be general manager of the business at the time, having uh, joined the company about three years prior to that in a national marketing role and uh, stepped into the general manager 's shoes and then uh, it was a division of Maine Nicholas, who many listeners may not even know of these days. It's now called Maine Farmer, and I think it's even Maine Farmer's been acquired by somebody else now don't know. But back then the uh, large corporate large corporate strategy was in fact to be quite diversified. So that all changed. They looked ahead and said, well, we don't want to be quite so diversified. We want to be in the health industry looking ahead strategically, which, were, which was in fact a really good move for that business. And so they went about selling off lots and lots and lots of their businesses because they had, I just don't know how many exactly, but 40 or 50 different sorts of businesses. So, And Freight Management International was one of those. So I put up my hand and um, said I was interested in buying the business. So I think the the funny thing about it was that um, they actually knocked me back at at first and said, no, 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 we're going to sell it off to an international group. You just keep it running. And, you know, we just, that's that's the go. Okay.
0: So. (laughs) And and that's really, really interesting, isn't it? I mean, like, was it that they, I mean, what insight you have here, but was it that they felt they could get a bit of price going internationally or did they just, you know, were they wondering about funding? Did they give you any feedback around that?
1: Yes, a bit of both, actually. And also they'd had uh, both of those things that you mentioned and also the, and um, they'd sold off some a couple of other businesses a couple of years prior to to management, as in management buyouts, and those businesses didn't go so well. So they had a heart. You know, they really did want to make sure that the business was actually going to go on and prosper. So that, and that, and that was fine. Um, yes, I mean, the ops director, my ops director at the time said, didn't think that I had the funding you know could do it in that sense so which yeah fine so I just uh, I kept running the business and guess what (laughs) they couldn't sell it (laughs) And, and they finally came back to me so <clears throat> I should have, at the time, I should have said when they asked if I was still interested, I should have said, yes, but the price has changed. But,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Turn the game on them. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: But, um, look, in the end, it's like anything. You get yourself very excited about these things, and I think that's one of the, one of the lessons that I always now pass on to people. Don't let your emotions, t- t- you know, take you away um, because you're so excited. You want this to happen, you know. So anyway, I went off to a very dear friend and mentor, that I had at the time John Bowen and John said to me Kerry you put the plan together if you can convince me I'll help you get the money wow. and so that's like how easy or how hard it was okay yeah and, and
0: did you know John Bowen well like what was that relationship like?
1: I'd, uh, I'd met John and his family uh, at was about 10 years prior to that. And he was just the most, and the whole family, the most delightful people you could possibly come across. We were taking a holiday and I happened to sit, alongside him on the plane lent him a pen because his pen had run out of ink and then just started chatting had no idea who he, who he was at all and uh, as it turned out he he turned out he was a very successful businessman had um, a large number of businesses based on the Central Coast back then and I was about the same age as his his kids you know and yeah so we just grew that they're just you know there are people in this world who gather friends when they go yeah and that's what happened you know so we became really firm friends for and uh, despite the fact that I was in Melbourne and and they're on the central coast you know we just maintained uh, the friendship and that's how I came to go to him yeah yeah.
0: yeah, fabulous. And and was this the the your first foray into business on your own or or for yourself I should say?
1: Yes, it was although I had looked at other businesses and was not going to uh, decided not to buy them. So, but this and that was before I was even working in the freight industry. So, I always I grew up not around Entrepreneurship—that was never a word, you know—that existed back back in my day. But I grew up with my uncle was in business. He started as an electrician and um, grew an enormous electrical contracting and consulting business. And I, I was—I worked for him in the school holidays when I was fourteen, receptionist plugging the switchboard in back in those days. <laughs> um, so I sort of got a taste for business. I was—I've always been interested in business, and it—it it was one of those things that I said I knew one day there'd be an opportunity all I had to do was recognize it so um and it took a while I mean took I was 35 when I bought that business and I was actually pregnant with our first child so and she was born the day I had to sign the contract so
0: yeah
1: <laughs> so that was fun yeah that
0: was fun <laughs> so uh, okay so I've got to ask now did you sign the contract that day or did you have a delay no no
1: I uh, <laughs> I, uh, I uh, I actually, you know, I've got to take people back in their memories. It just And it's a good laugh because this is 1987 and we didn't have mobile phones, you know. So you had to get up, you know, over you go, toddle to the telephone on the wall, make the phone call <laughs> <laughs> and say, uh, sorry, I'm not coming to the meeting, but you can come to me if you like, you know. <laughs>
0: Anyway, Don't mind the gown. <laughs> correct,
1: correct. Yeah. Anyway, no, look, they were fabulous and they didn't uh, insist on anything. Uh, they are very gracious and, in fact, the whole transaction went ahead. Uh, we signed the paperwork in due course and everything, it was as if it had all been signed, you know, so they were very gracious in that regard. So, yeah, so, John, um, I think I think also the interesting thing was that when you write a plan like that to buy a business, if you're going to someone who's, who's that or you're going to raise five, you know, if you're going to go out there and, and try and get the money, you know, raise the money, you've got to really write a different sort of a plan than the one that you actually write when you're in a corporate setting. And I've got to tell you, I had no idea how to write that plan, <laughs> none whatsoever. I can remember sitting at the kitchen bench and tearing up sheets of paper and, you know, just chucking stuff away. And then, I, you know, the universe prevails. In the paper, was a coupon for a book called "How to Win: How to Write Plans That Win Dollars." It was a book written by a couple of professors out of MIT: Stanley Rich and David Gumpert. See how how emblazoned it is in my memory? Okay,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: And so then, cut out the coupon, write in the credit card, send it away. Wait for the book. The book finally arrived. I wrote the plan. I read it in 24 hours. I wrote the plan by the book, typed it all myself, did absolutely everything, days before Excel spreadsheets, of course, but the admin manager that I had at the time was great. And we originally thought that there would be three of us from the business would actually buy in, but the other two parked in the end. Um, (laughs) But they helped me anyway put the number, crunch the numbers and do all that because that's not my forte. Uh, But we had... Uh, some some great um, spreadsheets from a what if program that Mae Nicholas had. <laughs> you know, so so I did. I wrote that plan by the book, and as I say, the rest is history. So uh, John was true to his word. Obviously, I convinced him, and uh, he did help get the money together. So there were there were four shareholders. So me and three other independent shareholders. So we ran the business very professionally. We kept all the good stuff that. Main Nicholas had us doing and jettisoned the stuff that, that we didn't need from a, because we're not a large corporate anymore. So, and I had uh, 83 staff, uh, five offices around Australia, 120 international agents and a newborn
0: wow wow
1: and a husband
0: yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah and hopefully he wasn't just dead weight you know it's uh like some of us husbands can be <laughs> um so so what was so there's four shareholders what what was your shareholding in the business at that point point? 25 25 so
1: yeah we were even all all around so. okay yeah
0: and and did you have to put some money in or any kind of security or anything like that as well
1: just a little bit. It was like $10,000. It was neither here nor there in the scheme of things really, even though we didn't have any money. You know, that's all right. You can get that on your credit card. So yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that was fine. Um, we didn't pay a lot. We paid $300,000.
0: That was it. You know, yeah. So. And, and, and how did you come to that number though? How, how has that worked out?
1: Um, I think it was...
0: Yep, fingers to the number. wind, yep.
1: <laughs> Pick a number, any number. Given that the, the business at that time was turning over about $3 million, um, it was not expensive. It was a cheap business. May Nicholas really wanted out of it. Uh, the end of the day they and i we we actually the finance that we put together was really good um, because we also needed another six hundred thousand for working capital anyway so we basically call it i i just rounded up and say we needed a million and we got main nicholas to also give us some vendor finance for a couple of years so fabulous yeah so we the the finance deal was really good in the end that we put together yeah
0: so so talk me through that um that vendor finance because i mean it's 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 something that I guess people in transactions talk a little bit about and, and often I see vendors, you know, being more asked for it than, than going the other way. But it's um, what, what percentage of the transaction was, was done on vendor finance?
1: Uh, about 50%. <laughs> okay, wow.
0: That's a great percentage, isn't it? It was. And, and, <laughs> and did they, and over what period of time did they allow you to pay that down over? We
1: had three years to pay it back, yeah. But we actually paid it back in 18 months. So, Because we did the business. The business was a really good business when it became unconstrained in a corporate.
0: Yeah. Talk us through that a bit. Yeah.
1: Well, we had our highs and lows like everything. Um, People won't necessarily remember uh, this, but 1987 was uh, Black Monday with Stock Market. And, you know, when I tell this story uh, to audiences, I tell, you know, the beginning and the end of the plan worked out amazing. And that was, in fact, the best thing I learned from that book as well, dovetailing into the work that you do now and I do as well, you know, is is about figuring out an exit strategy because that's part. The investors have to know how they're going to get their money out. So that was really um, pivotal, I think, as part of the whole plan. but. The so yeah so the beginning worked out really well, <laughs> the end worked out really well, but everything else in the middle was up and down and all over the place you know
0: so <laughs> <laughs> so so basically normal business <laughs>
1: absolutely right absolutely and and things that are tragic that you don't plan you cannot plan for but the sort of stuff that you know we now talk about today in thinking around exit is is your contingency planning so what happens if and sadly very very sadly uh, my state manager for Victoria was killed in a car accident um, only weeks in after we took over the business. It was in within, I think, three or four weeks in, he he sadly lost his life. So um, that was an incredible um, impingement, you know, not only for the family, the tragedy, but of course, but as far as the business went, because he was pivotal, you know, so um that was that, and then in October we had Black Monday, stock market crash, um, you know, all those that sort of thing that had to happen. But then, of course, rocking up to sort of the very late eighties, the business was just going great guns, and then and then Paul Keating came along with the recession we had to have, you know. Indeed. And on we <laughs> go. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah, no, that's 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 really interesting. So uh, let me take you back uh, again for a minute because that state manager passing. I mean, that's horrible and tragic, and I, I can only imagine how upsetting that was for everybody. In, involved, it got me thinking. You know, and, and as you said, you know, doing the work we do, and and, and just at a full disclosure and transparency here. So, Kerry, you and I, we, I think we've known each other for what, four or something years now. It's uh, a bit longer, maybe, I think. Maybe a bit Simon, longer. Yes. Yeah, four or five. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So time flies, and uh, and we do do very similar work, and and it's um I've always been drawn to you, Kerry, because you're somebody who's so genuine and offers so much value to the people you work with. So, um, you know, and hence hence our friendship, I guess but it's uh, one of the things i know you see as much as i do is people going into business with other people and maybe not having shareholder agreements and not having things like buy sell insurance and all that sort of stuff so so when you went into this business did 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 you have any of those sort of things put in place we
1: had a shareholder agreement and given that the other three directors were not actually in the business that was really just a basic, you know, shareholder agreement, as simple as that. Uh, so we didn't – I was the only one who was actually working in the business. And um, over over the course of the, the – um, well, it was nine years that, that we had the business, our plan was, in fact, to – Uh, grow the business and to sell it to an international group. That was always the plan. And I wanted to make sure personally that everybody had a job and that the only person, I was very happy that the only person who was out of a job was me. That didn't make any difference at all. But I really wanted to make sure that everyone else had a job. So I think what's really important is that those, if you have perhaps certainly active business partners, or if one of the shareholders wanted out, you know, it's important to have that articulated in your agreement as to how that might happen with a, which is basic, basic, you know, that's just basic. That's what you sort of need to have as to how, how you're going to value the business, what the shares are going to be valued at, you know, that sort of thing. Although
0: it's funny you say that because I had a client and and, and I'm sure you'll relate to this too, but I, I had a client who came to us, there were three business partners and they had a shareholder's agreement, they had buy, sell insurance, they had all this stuff, but he, there was no mechanism for one of them to get out if they wanted to. Right. It, uh, and so literally he said to me, I, I literally have to die for my family to get the capital out of this business, which is, you know, not my first choice, really.
1: <laughs> no. Well, so, who was the lawyer? Don't answer that yeah. question.
0: Well, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Okay. Obviously, those are those things are really uh, important, and that probably actually dovetails beautifully into that, like the most recent business that my husband and I were involved in, which was in real estate, and um, we've been had had a couple of real estate businesses as well, and the first one we sold as um, as. Uh, It was just the an offer too good to refuse. So, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: thank you. Off, we're out of here. Yep, Yep, we're out of here.
0: So this is this is number two that you've sold. So number
1: two was speaking of those sorts of mechanisms that, uh, as you you're you're aware, but for everyone's benefit, the um, my husband passed away a couple of years ago, and we'd been in that business. uh, started again another real estate business we'd started again in 2011 so in 2019 he passed away but those, we had buy-sell agreements and shareholders' agreements for that particular business, and in there the mechanism was that if one of the uh, directors passed away, business owners passed away, then the, um, the shares would be sold and the formula was set for the value. And the other other shareholders had the uh, opportunity to purchase those shares, and in that agreement it was written in that they could pay them off over two years if they, if they, uh, if they wanted them. In the event that they didn't necessarily, if they didn't want to buy the shares or couldn't buy the shares for whatever reason, then those shares were made, were available to somebody else, could be sold independently. So, but it was never intended that any other shareholder in in the business that owned the shares would be able to come into the business. That person, that that would they would be taken
0: out. So, so, so I'm. Um, I- I'm going to wind you back again here because oh, I, yeah. I, I love the um, you know on Freight Management International. So y- you bought this business on a plan with partners. You had the intention of from day one of selling this thing, which you know in my experience that in itself is is fairly unique because I I think a lot of people come into business without a game plan without an end game anyway um, other than this is so exciting let's grow and take over the world or you know live our wildest dreams <laughs> so you've been in the you've been in the big chair for nine or so years when did you kind of get a sense that maybe you were getting towards that end game like was there a, a financial trigger was it an emotional trigger was it what was it that, that told you you were heading in the right direction
1: I think that's what, like, when whenever you go into something and you know you have that intention, it, it sort of happens. Um, I don't know what it is. It's the universe. You know, people might go, oh, yeah, right. But it really is because along the way we had been approached by various parties from around the globe, but we were not ready at the other times to actually sell the business. We weren't ready. We went through the, as I mentioned, you know, we went through the recession we had to have and that was a really good learning curve for us as a business because we had to really – figure out how the heck we're going to get through it, quite frankly, because it was a tough time. And when you're in the freight industry is an indicator industry. So you feel it ahead of everything else around the world. You know, you just, you just, that's one of those industries. And so uh, we took on board doing a thing. We we did total quality management, TQM, took advantage of uh, government subsidies that we could get hold of, which was fantastic. And so We implemented that right throughout the business and that was the turning point, absolute turning point, without a doubt for
0: us. So, so so when did you start doing all of that? Like where on the timeline?
1: 1990.
0: Um, which is what, you're You're a couple of years into ownership at that point, are you? Or Three,
1: been three years into ownership. So okay. uh, 1991 really it was, I started investigating it. Mm-hmm. And uh, because we'd had a great run up to like 1989, I think we were heading for our first million dollar profit actually back then, wow. which was sensational, yeah. And it just evaporated overnight because of the – recession that was coming, quite frankly, Um, and so we had to Figure out, well, what are we going to do about this? And, you know, if you keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result, you know, what's going to happen?
0: Definition of insanity. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So,
1: (laughs) yeah, so just, you know, looking to see, well, what the heck can we do about this? Which was, and I think it was more about investing in our people and investing in the way we were operating to be able to get ourselves out of it. Uh, Because then, whilst we still made a profit, we were certainly heading down the road to losses, you know, losses. And you can't sustain losses. For forever, even even though you've got a really good cash flow business, you know. So uh, we did uh, went through and implemented TQM right throughout the business, and you know, five locations around Australia. We had to make changes, reduce staff, and all of that. You know, cut your costs. Um, unfortunately. But it was the, it was the turning point. We turned around in the space of um, about uh, twelve months. We turned, we did a half a million dollar turnaround, you know, which was fantastic. We won a Telstra Business Award back then as well, so that helped um, and it just put us. I think that put us on the map. You know, uh, we were started, we we got noticed, and so. We were approached in, I'm just trying to think what year it was, I think it was, yeah, 1994, we were actually approached by a scout, if for want of a better word, for a group who were wanting to put together a global freight business. And one of the things we could also see at that time was, of course, the introduction of the internet and the capital that would be required to be able to gear up for all of that. So it made a lot of sense for us to have conversations, you know, and talk about the the opportunity. And as a business, we were really the only business at the time in Australia that someone could come along and, and buy an infrastructure that existed in all states. You could buy other businesses. So, I mean, really, I could have bought the business and said, I want to be in this for the rest of my life and scaled it back, scaled it down instead of scaling it up. But that was obviously that wasn't the intention, so it was scaling up. So an international group could come along and buy an an office here, an office there, an office, you know, and then try to integrate it all, which, of course, is another huge challenge. So, yeah.
0: Well, and no doubt if they're on the acquisition trail, yours was – likely not the only business, but if they buy you and you've got infrastructure, it's easier to bolt on individual state-based entities if you've already got a presence, right?
1: Correct. You know, if you if they wanted to then go out and acquire other businesses that they could bolt on, which, in fact, they ended up doing, you know, um, ultimately. So uh, so we actually did the deal in 1994. So I stayed on for two years, and so it was a, t- a two-year earn-out, you know. That's, right. Yeah. Which is which I don't advocate if you can avoid it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think most people would agree with that. So, so, so to, to paint the picture for us. What, what was the company turning over at the time? You know, do you recall margin or EBIT or anything like that at this stage? I'm
1: uh, scratching my brain now. I think we were doing about close on fifteen million. Turnover? Mm, yep. No, turn it. No. Yes. Uh, yeah. So that business. Okay. So turnover itself, actual turnover of dollars coming through, was closer to fifty million. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but then you, a lot of that disbursements gets paid yes. out. So well it's, I say, a very good cash flow business, but you've got to be got to have your finger right on the pulse because you could be down the drain in no time.
0: Yeah, things turned faster. Yeah, aren't?
1: so then it it came back uh, to around about 15 million if you like at that uh, gross contribution level.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and when you started out, like when you went to sell the business, I mean, what was the sort of valuation methodology Do they did they come to you and say this is the way we think or this is the way we transact or what pretty much what did that look like?
1: Talk I think um, you know, on reflection we are uh, Total babes in the woods, you know. It was just, uh, it's it's interesting, really, because the ex- having someone with an ex- the experience of that uh, process would it would have been really helpful, you know, other than a lawyer, you know. But and even though my co-directors had been involved um, in their own businesses. No one had actually been through that process. So now that I reflect on it, it was—I uh, think—they got a bargain. You know, we—we didn't—we certainly didn't maximize uh, what we could have got. You know, for the business, so they were—they were really looking for EBIT, and there was a lot value was tied up. <laughs> I now know <laughs> there is a lot more value in that business than EBIT. You know, yeah,
0: yeah, sure, yeah, and and obviously an asset-heavy business too. So uh, uh, and so they they've come up. Was it a was it a multiple of EBIT or is is was it a multiple of revenue or did they give you a kind of basic methodology four, four, or four four times EBIT four EBIT? Yeah, okay, okay, yeah, that's really interesting. And so what was the what was the cut like? How was it like up front? Was there deferred you said earn out was a portion as well like what, what did that broadly look like
1: uh, well it was nothing up front it was a case of if you make the EBIT that we want you to make in the two years then we'll buy the business if you don't make it then we might not
0: basically yes so it was really a trial by fire in that respect. But I guess by the same token, if they didn't buy it, you still own the company, right?
1: Yes, exactly. So
0: it's, um, yeah, you haven't signed over ownership in the interim.
1: No, but it's it was very interesting because you are conflicted in that period of time because you know that you've got to invest money for the business, you know, but then at the same time, you don't want to spend the money because it's going to affect your EBIT. So that's yeah. my, you know, So it's very it's one of those things that I would highly advocate you do not do.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. So, I mean, hindsight being what it is, how do you do you think if you had uh, an advisor perhaps running a process for you? Because, I mean, this is the classic, you got tapped on the shoulder, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you were running a process and able to kind of, you know, put some competitive tension, I mean, uh, do you think you could have had a different result?
1: Um, no doubt. Yeah, without it. Absolutely, no doubt whatsoever. So, as I said at the at the time, it was really lambs to the slaughter almost. you know they were a very sophisticated group of people, very sophisticated, and uh, used. I think it was Baker McKenzie at the time, you know, who were in the Rialto Tower in Melbourne on the whatever on the floor and, you know, like 100 grand to walk through the front door. So, yeah, big end yeah. of
0: town lawyers, smart people, done lots of deals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and this is their day job, right? This is not the, right. the second job they're taking on. <laughs> it's, um, you know, and this, is, this is the thing we see all the time. And I know it's uh, especially, it's really been interesting over the last year. We've had so many people saying to us, I've been tapped on the shoulder, some multiple times because there is a lot of, you know, and this is just cyclical, I guess, but, you know, back of COVID, whatever else, there's, there's, there is a lot of capital out there looking for a home and, and there's a lot of smart people looking to, to place that somewhere in a good investment. So, but, but so often I think people get tapped on the shoulder and, and it is, it's, it's exciting, it's Completely and utterly, you know, blows the ego up because hey, wow, well, we're actually quite attractive, and 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 it's—I I, imagine—it's easy to get caught up in that.
1: It's very easy to get caught up in it. It's very easy. I think that though it, that's get—if you have an earnout, you get that gets tempered a bit too because you really have to be right on your game for the whole time for the whole period of time, you know. So, and often they they'll send in their own people as well you know in fact we did have someone come into the business one of their superstars you know from overseas and he wasn't actually in Melbourne where I I was located he worked out of the Sydney office which was fine actually he didn't interfere I have to say much (laughs) but that was all part of their due diligence of course yeah and um I think it clearly they had in they had their strategy in mind you know and they were ex- executing it
0: and so, after your two-year period, did I mean they've had a they've had a two-year courting period, really, haven't they? Yes. Um, so, it, it did everything sort of how long did it take after that? I mean, was it was it were they ready to go? Did they say you know let's go to contract? What, what happened kind of after that two-year period?
1: Oh uh, well, well, they had an option. That's what it was. So they just ex- exercised their option.
0: Yeah. Okay, so that's you'd signed that option two years yes. earlier, saying okay, okay, that makes sense.
1: And and there were you know you had to consider uh, tax complications and all those sorts of things as well. Yeah, so yeah. whether you know today's rules, um, we're t- you're talking nearly twenty years ago now, so it's quite a long time ago. Yeah.
0: And, and were they where? Where was the parent company? Were they obviously overseas? You said, but was it US or
1: three locations? US, mm-hmm. London and um cape town i think from memory south africa yeah
0: okay so, so yeah truly global kind of business it's um, absolutely
1: yeah in the end look i was quite i was quite happy with it i got my payout and i was the only one out of a job that which is fine and the um the rest of the team were all gainfully employed there and then and you know, they shared with us their strategy as well, which was that they wanted to grow the business significantly enough to be able to list it. Yes. So they they listed in the US and they also listed in London and they also listed in South Africa. And the um, the staff, the managers in particular, did so well. They did far better with that acquisition, being part of that acquisition, than they would have done had I, had we kept the business, you know, because – they uh, were enticed with shares and, you know, all that sort of thing. And I know that um, three or four of them uh, paid off their homes, you know, once they'd listed and all that sort of thing. And to this very day, uh, every year I am contacted by two of my state managers every single year. That's lovely. Still, yes, I know it's fabulous. It's just lovely, really, really nice. And so, you know that we had a um, a culture that was sort of a bit of a family culture. I think more than anything. And you know, you know, it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah,
0: nice, nice. It's it's interesting. I certainly in transactions we've seen. You know, we're human beings, right? We're all on a bell curve in terms of how we respond to things. Um, there's extremes at both ends, and a lot of us kind of lump in the middle. But it's it's interesting when I see transactions going through there's always at one extreme people who see change as huge opportunity and are just absolute out-of-the-blocks early and they're go-getters. Mm. Then you've got at the other end of the extreme people who are, who are very fearful of it and they assume the absolute worst. They assume that people will all be losing their jobs, that it's going to be horrible. It's, and look, and I guess, you know, sometimes in these mergers there, there are some changes that happen over time. But I, I think generally in my experience it's been – buyers have an attitude of do no harm you know we're spending a lot of money on this thing don't go in there and screw it up and and invariably that usually means don't go get getting rid of people these people have a job for a reason <laughs> and so you know i think for those who can kind of get on board and handle a little bit of uncertainty that there often ends up being really vast opportunities to improve their not just their working life but of course their Take home and all the rest of it.
1: That's right. That's right. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that can sometimes be the elephant in the room, and it needs addressing. It's as simple as that. You know, once you raise it and have a discussion about it and get some genuine responses, I think you know most most people have good in mind. You know, yeah, they're not all they're not all about stripping companies and selling it off for assets and that sort yeah. of thing.
0: It's, it's not. Yeah, people aren't inherently kind of bad. <laughs> It's not a, you know, people are there trying to do good in most cases. So, yeah, I agree with that. Um, It is interesting, though. There seems to be so much talk out there these days of, um, you know, bolting businesses together to list. Um, You know, it's it's clearly a... a Strategy that's that's you know tried and tested, so yeah, it, it, interesting. I think for anybody listening out there who's in, involved in a company like that and and you know going along for that kind of journey, it, I mean, it has its ups and downs, but it's certainly nobody will ever call it boring. <laughs> <laughs> this is true, <laughs> absolutely right, yeah. absolutely right. So, so. You, you've gone on from this business. You, you, you've gone out there. H- how long did it take you after you'd sold this? Did you did you take some time off? Did you have a holiday? Was there was there some kind of trophy? You know, hey, this is our reward. You know, what was there anything like that?
1: Yeah, I got really bored. <laughs> <laughs> I I tell I say to people, this is the first time I retired. Okay, yep. for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I thought I couldn't sit still.
1: <laughs> it was, yeah, I took two weeks off and uh, I had to figure out, I did have to figure out what I was going to do because I had a second child as well at that point. And so I had two young children, um, son six and daughter eight and a half, I think. So, yeah, I had to sort of work out what I was going to do next. And. I decided to take myself off to university, right? Because I had left school when I was fifteen. I had to um, nurse my dad. He sadly uh, fell to uh, cancer. He had a brain tumour, and for the last year of his life, which was my year nine at school, I had to stay home and look after him. Which was which was. Um, Not easy. I had to homeschool myself, you know. And um, uh, our stepmother was working to support the family. My mother, my birth mother, had actually died when I was four. So, um, so our stepmom was there, and she was supporting the family uh, financially. So, and unfortunately, after he died, it was a case of do like I finished school that year. So I was only Mm, fifteen because you know we had to financially support ourselves and took myself off to do uh, um, today secretarial college and did shorthanded typing and I which was good back then so I couldn't get to university I knew that anyway so I thought the best way to learn is just to get myself skilled to be able to work alongside the most talented people that I can find in a business in someone else's business you know so and that's what I did so and I really learned from those people so I didn't get myself didn't get to do uni other than the QBE qualified by experience, you know. So I didn't do too badly because I got to buy a business, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, 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 and,
0: and by all accounts, I mean, that business was a life-changing event, right? I mean, yeah, that's an, an exit that changes lives. Yes.
1: That's- yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So anyway, so I t- did. I took myself off to university part-time and did a uh, master's degree in entrepreneurship and innovation. And uh, they did accept me without an undergraduate. My undergraduate was what I just said then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, <I> th- yeah. <laughs> QBE qualified by experience. Yeah, yes, indeed. I was about to say it'd be pretty hard for them to deny your experience, and 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 it, I'd be very interested to know how the theory stacked up against your experience.
1: Well, I must say the first—I remember the f- distinctly the first class, which was about feasibility studies, and I do remember sitting there going, "Oh, I wish I knew this nine years ago." <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> But at the same time, the rest of it was, was just application of theory as much as anything else. I didn't – I did learn. I absolutely did learn by doing that. But um, I also started another business at the same time. So
0: it <laughs> – Just didn't have enough on your plate or no. – No.
1: With, again, a, another mentor, friend, um, another John, as it turned out, John Miller. We uh, we started a coaching business, a business coaching business. And in the – you know, in the uh, – Latter half of the 1990s, no one had even heard of that. It just was not really part of anybody's thinking. So, we pioneered that, you know, and uh, group coaching, individual mentoring, and so forth. And I did that again for another nine years, and then, and the uni got me back teaching as well uh, as a um an adjunct fellow I did I taught the MBA for 3 years business planning in the MBA for 3 years and um, which was I I enjoyed doing it but you know at the end of the day you've got to draw a line <laughs> there's so much you can do you know you ha- yeah I had to, I had to draw the line so um and it, yeah so the um I, so that was the first time yeah I retired for 2 weeks yeah so uh, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine there's people, I know I went through this, you know, I went off to university and, and, you know, I've failed at things and then succeeded at things and whatever else. But I know when I was leaving school, I had, um, I'd been doing work experience in a broking firm for years, stock broking firm. And I had a passion for just getting out there and I wanted to work. And, and, uh, and I think there's some people who are more geared to let's just fly, get out there and do stuff and there's other people who like to study and learn and do do you think you know if, is, is there any advantage in your mind you know if somebody wants to go out there and and you know start or buy a business and and have their big exit i mean what's the mix here you know between the theoretical and learning versus just getting your hands dirty
1: if you have an opportunity to go and make mistakes on somebody else's dime, then go and do it. That's the way I, I that's what I recommend to people, you know. And if, yep. but if it's in your blood and you really want to do something, I think if you can find a business akin to, go and work in a business. If you think you might want to buy that business, see if you can get yourself a job in it to figure it out first and find out what it's, any job, doesn't matter, you know, just find out what it's actually like. And I I was only today talking to somebody who's just bought into a business and luckily it's got a little bit of cash flow because if you're trying to start from scratch, as you well know, Simon, it is hard work, you know, it's hard really. And if you can, in today's environment, especially, there is so much opportunity for you to be able to go in and buy an existing business. Get yourself a job in that business and learn about it and then approach the business owner, perhaps, or, you know, just... Just figure it out and, and find a way to buy it because if you can get in on an existing cash flow basis where it's, where you've already got that running rather than having to rely on your own capital and sweat equity as well that you put into it, it's a much uh, better pathway in my personal view, you know, but then again, if you're going to be a pioneer and you want to blaze trails, we'll go for it. Just make sure you've got enough capital <laughs> to last.
0: You yeah, know? indeed. You know, my experience too is that that either way, you're going to pay, right? Correct. You, you you start a business, you do a startup, great. You still need capital, maybe less, but you still need. But you're going to sacrifice a lot of time to build the business to a point where it earns enough money to pay for itself. And you know, I, I was once given the analogy. That when you start a business, in the first year you pay for the business, in the second year the business pays for itself, and in the third year the business pays you. Now, okay, we've all seen exceptions to that, and these days with the internet and whatever else, of course. But, but in my experience, that's that's been a pretty solid kind of analogy. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, the person that I was speaking to today was telling me this business is about a hundred grand's worth of revenue. I said, oh, well, so you're just basically you're buying yourself a job. Yeah. And I said, yeah, that's right. That's what you're doing because it's. it's- you're not going to actually make any, you're not making any money with that. That's just the sales, you know. Yeah. Yeah,
0: indeed, indeed. So um, Kerry, one of the, the questions I'm going to ask you is, is perhaps if you've got a number one tip that you can share with people. But, um, but before we, we get to that, so you know, all this wonderful experience, you've bought a business, you've built it up, you've sold it, you've started and sold other companies. T- talk to us a little bit about what you're doing now.
1: Okay. So what I'm doing now is giving back really, you know, because I know I recognize particularly amongst um, my peer group, especially, which is baby boomers. There are so many who have well already turned 65, but many still coming and who are business owners who haven't given any thought whatsoever about the t- towards an exit, you know, what that means for them, what it, what it you know, does it exist? So um, I believe that I, I can give them the opportunity to, to be educated in a way that will help them make the right decisions for themselves. So, so that's what I'm doing. I'm I'm really doing my best to get the word out to as many people as possible to think of, to think about these sorts of things, and to um, not only the business and. Do we need to do something with the business, you know, in in the meantime to build value in it to make it actually uh, exitable, you know, or and as you well know, there's many ways to exit your business. You don't have to sell it, um, but you want to make it as valuable as it can possibly be. There's so many, so many options that you have available to you. And then not only that, what the heck are you going to do? After, you know, it's um, because, um, you know, you need a purpose no matter what. And I absolutely highly advocate taking some time to decompress. I think that's really important as well. And uh, even though the first time around for me, it was only two weeks. Well, the second <laughs> time around, it was a bit longer, I have to say. That was a few years. But again, like, you know, even if you th- if you don't give some thought to it, then you will find yourself in strife a little. You know, without too far down the track, you really do need to think about what you are going to do and have a sense of purpose for your- the next reinvention of what it's about. And uh, you know, whether it's doing stuff like I'm doing, you know, uh, being involved perhaps in your local community. I'm, I'm a serial volunteer at our local sports club. I've been doing that for 25 years. You know, and,
0: and for those for those listening, <laughs> so Kerry, you're still volunteering volunteering at the local footy club right yeah
1: yeah yeah. i'm the queen of the canteen (laughs) for the senior footy yeah and uh awesome secretary of the club and i run the baby cricket so yeah my son's 30 now so you know time time marches (laughs) on no grandchildren yet no grandchildren but anyway yeah so having a sense of purpose in your life afterwards is is as important as anything else and you know you need to give some thought to that because uh you um want to make sure that you have you know you have the rest of your life to live and to live it well, you know, regardless of what happens. And there's just so many cups of coffees you can have with friends. Playing golf three days a week might be okay for the first little while, 12 months maybe or so, but then after a while, you know, there's there's more. So whether it's like... Rotary?
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. or, or... For, the, for those who can't see, uh, Kerry was just holding up her badge. <laughs> yeah.
1: I haven't actually been actively involved in Rotary now for a few years, but I, did, I, I was involved for a very long time, for about 15 years. So, so that's important. So that's what I'm, I'm really doing now. I'm really helping people to give some thought to that. Let's look at the business let's do some reverse due diligence and see how good it is whether it um, is transferable in whatever way that might be um, and then think about you who what are you going to do with your if it's a wife, your spouse if you've got a partner or not you know um husbands and wives who haven't lived together really for a very long time often find it difficult, you know, like my aunt used to say about my husband, uh, marriage you for better or worse, but not for lunch, you know. So <laughs> um you know, you've got to sort these things. Sort them out, you know, give, yeah, give yeah. some thought anyway at least, yeah.
0: It's, it's an interesting one because I think a lot of business owners out there associate thinking about building for value, you know, in their business. They just associate that with just selling. And and so a lot of them will say, well, I'm not ready to sell and I'm not ready to think about that. So they, you know, back to what we were doing before. And I guess certainly my experience, and I'm, I'm interested in your view on this, is that, you know, those who who are building for value in many, many cases find that not only does the business start to become more profitable, but it's usually a lot more fun to run.
1: It is absolutely a lot more fun to run. And, you know, I have a client. Actually, we, we're we implementing the EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, in the business. And originally, when we first talked, he wanted out. That was the bottom line. So we started. We went through the process of working out an exit plan and looking, with, looking at the gaps and what needed to be done, thinking about a time frame, and then, of course which often happens, we just needed to do some work in the business. So we started implementing EOS and uh, that was now pre-COVID actually. It was pre-COVID because it's a couple of years to really get it bolted in strongly in the business. And he emailed me just before Christmas and said, Kerry, I've never been so excited at all. This is just the best thing that's happened. You've changed my life. Thank you so much. P.S., I no longer want to exit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but what a wonderful, wonderful experience to help somebody fall in love with their business again. But
1: yes, I, look, I was so excited. I get, I'm excited now. You know, talking talking about it, and um, they, they just went gangbusters even through COVID. You know, they just went, and Victoria for. I mean, Victoria, you know, we went through four months of total lockdown, which was horrendous. And of course, we've just had lockdown mark four. So, you know, it it rolls on. But um, yeah, it was just wonderful. It was exciting for him and exciting for the future for the business as well. And he's not yeah. a particularly, I mean, he's just turned 50, so he's way too early to retire, but uh, he's, he's very much able to at least take time out of the business, which is really important and actually have, uh, it gives him a wonderful lifestyle because the business is, has a way of operating now that has freed him completely, which is terrific.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And okay, so so to summarize a couple of these points here, you know, n- number 1, don't wait to the last minute to think about your exit, right? Start planning this, you know, and and start looking to build value and fix your business. You know, now don't wait till the last minute, right? Yeah. But but thinking about what is the next phase of my life, don't you know? Like it's we we all need purpose, right? Correct. So so and and maybe maybe I've just spoiled your um your big deal. I'm gonna I'm going to. (laughs) So so. For those listening, Kerry, I have no doubt there'll be people who will want to reach out and connect with you. Like, what, what's the best way for people to to, to reach out?
1: Um, probably uh, shoot me an email if you like, uh, which is simply Kerry at the Exit Strategy Group.
0: .com.au. now spell kerry because oh, yes. people will
1: k-e-r-r-y <laughs> it's with a y uh, so it, or you can if you just google me kerry bolton b-o-u-l-t-o-n there's another trap okay yep.
0: <laughs> kerry, <laughs> yeah
1: kerry with a y and bolton with a u uh, b-o-u-l-t-o-n if you google me you'll find me i pop up um so yeah that's probably the uh, the best way yeah
0: and and no doubt they can find you on linkedin as well if they're looking so oh yes on
1: linkedin i forget about all the social media stuff yes <laughs> uh, uh, i'm there i'm defi- definitely on linkedin and um there are you know i have regular posts all the time so uh, yeah you'll find me on all of it all the social media
0: Yes, yeah. that's awesome. And for those listening to Kerry wrote an excellent book called The Uncensored Truth About Exit Strategy. So um, I'm pretty sure if you contact Kerry you'll be able to get your hands on that book.
1: Yes, absolutely. In fact, you can go you can go to the website and just order it. So there's freeexitstrategybook.com.au. Yeah. We'll get you there. You can just order it directly and I'll send it to you.
0: Awesome. So that's freeexitstrategybook.com.au. So uh, you can go straight to the website. I believe you can order the book directly and it uh, and it comes out at no cost to you. So that's fantastic. Kerry, are there any finishing words? I know we kind of stole the thunder out of your big tip, but is there anything else you'd like to share with other entrepreneurs who are maybe on their journey still and still kind of doing the grind and pushing and doing all those wonderful things? <sighs>
1: Yes, I think the main thing would be just to keep at it, quite frankly. But but think about value. Think Very much think about growing your business for value. And it's not just all about the bottom line, necessarily. There's a whole lot of other ways that you actually add value to your business. So, And whatever the end game might be, just give it some thought to start with.
0: Uh, great, great words of advice. Kerry, thank you so much for coming on. I, I, I'm just always so grateful for your time you always have so much wisdom I always walk away from my discussions with you having learned things and feeling good about the world and you know I, I'm just personally so thankful that there are wonderful people like you in it so thank you thank you for coming on
1: thank you Simon and thank you for your very kind words it's wonderful
0: oh it was a pleasure The ultimate freedom is to own a company that is valuable, scalable, and saleable. Find out how you score on the eight factors that drive company value by completing the Value Builder Questionnaire. Upon completion, we will send through your business scorecard so you can see how to maximize the value of your company. Just go to exitadvisory.com.au forward slash scorecard. The Buy, Grow, Sell podcast is brought to you by Exit Advisory Group a boutique M&A firm that helps business owners maximize company value and exit at the top of their game. To learn more about Exit Advisory Group, you can go to exitadvisory.com.au. And if you like what you've just heard, you can subscribe at buygrowsell.com to get a new episode delivered to your inbox each week. Thank you for listening to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast with Simon Bedard. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit buygrowsell.com forward slash episodes. Simon is the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, and you can follow him on LinkedIn.